Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, they found the Endeavour, so they say, the ship that Captain Cook uh, used when he famously sailed to uh, Tahiti and then with secret orders travelled south to try to map what they thought was the great Southland. He changed the maps, he changed the perspective, he changed the culture of this region forever. It wasn't undiscovered, it was certainly populated. Um, but he brought European settlements and all of the things that go with it. And they weren't quite sure what had happened to the Endeavour after Captain Cook had finished with it. It was still in the Navy, it was still in service. Ended up being used in the American Civil War. But now, in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, in the harbour, they believe they have found the remains. It was scuttled. And to talk more about that, but more importantly, the impact of that era of uh, exploration. Um, Meredith Lake, one of our favourite open house guests, the author of The Bible in Australia, the award-winning Bible in Australia. Meredith Lake, welcome back. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is pretty exciting, actually. I, I, my heart kind of leapt when I saw the story, and I kind of wonder why, but it's so much a part of our growing up. We learn about the great endeavour. We see the pictures. We can have a sense of it. So here it is, the bottom of some harbour. That's right. Uh, the Endeavour, it's a remarkable ship. It has it has a history much longer than its involvement as, you know, a school child, children in Australia normally here. <laughs> yeah. after, after that first voyage of Cook's, it, it has a life of its own. And I think being found, you know, at the bottom of um, Newport, Harbour in, in at Rhode Island there is, is uh, reminds us I think it's a much bigger story than we're the one we usually hear and used in the uh, in the War of Independence the the Brits used it against the Americans that's right it would belong to the Royal Navy even in Cook's time and then it was used as a prison for captured Americans during that that conflict and then it was actually deliberately sunk uh, during the um, Battle of of Rhode Island in 1778 uh, to kind of blockade the harbour there so. They sent it to the bottom as part of their strategic um, efforts, I guess, in that war. So part of this story is that um, some time ago, the Rhode Island government sort of did a bunch of legal manoeuvres to lay claim to all of the ships that were scuttled in that harbour. And now we're going to, there'll be a bit of a, th a three-nation tussle to see who gets bits of it, I suppose. I'm not sure there's very, very much left. It's not like there's a hulk down there that they'll be able to bring back up to the surface and refloat or anything like that. We're talking about, you know, an oak, an oak boat that's been, <laughs> been down there for quite some time, uh, more than 200 years. So they might be able to recover items that maybe were associated with its use as a prison ship. Yeah. Um, maybe pieces of oak. That, I mean, to confirm that it is the Endeavour, they'll need to check the actual timber that's surviving um, is it is it the kind of oak that came from the north of England where it was built rather than some of the American or Indian timbers? Uh, so they need to do that kind of analysis before they can confirm that it's definitely the endeavour. I see. But, yeah, we'll see. Maybe they'll be able to re retrieve some fragments. And I, th I think they're, they're kind of... They're almost like icons, aren't they, things associated with Cook? And I think that's really an interesting thing to reflect on. What is it about having a bit of his ship, possibly, that seems so exciting to Australians? Well, I've been pondering this, and mm. it seems to me that uh, in his day he was the Star Trek commander, charting un completely unknown waters, at least unknown to the British. Uh, they sent him out saying, just find out what's out there. Well, his instructions to have a look around for what is now known as Australia were kind of secret instructions actually added 
to his main instructions, which were to go to Tahiti and observe the transit of Venus there. He was kind of there on a, a scientific fact-finding mission. Hmm. And it was only after that that he circumnavigated the islands of New Zealand and then charted uh, the East Coast. But you're right, he's not, he's not the first European, even, to kind of make contact with the coast of this continent. Uh, and certainly, you know, Indigenous people had intricate knowledge of the landscape, its places, its features, and myriad names for all the places that Cook then renamed in English, all those places already had names. So in a sense, he, he, his job was to introduce uh, the east coast of this continent to, uh, to British understanding. Uh, that, that's kind of part of what his contribution was, rather than to discover a new, something that was completely unknown. I'm interested in the ideas, the values that went with those secret instructions. So he's in Tahiti, he opens his secret instructions, he's told to go and find these lands, and then there are quite specific things that the king says to him about, or the government says to him about what to do if he encounters quote-unquote natives. Well, he's instructed to observe uh, the natives, as they're called in the document, um, their temper, their disposition, how many there are, and then if there be any, endeavour by all proper means to cultivate a friendship and alliance with them, making them presents of such trifles as they may value and inviting them to traffic, that is, to trade, to enter a kind of commercial relationship, showing them, I'm going on, every kind of civility and regard. Um, And he's also being warned, but be careful, don't let them surprise you, don't let them (laughs) attack you. Uh, And it's interesting, the next part says, you are also with the consent of the natives to take possession of convenient situations in the country in the name of the King of Britain. And there's a facet, that's fascinating to me that he, he was meant to kind of claim what he found for Britain with the consent of the natives. Mm. And, and we all know that he did claim possession. There's Possession Island is still there today where he hoisted uh, the flag and claimed it for the King of England. Mm. Uh, but the question of with the consent of the natives has obviously been overlooked and we're still having conversations now about um, the sovereignty, the enduring sovereignty of Indigenous communities in Australia and the, the call for a treaty. Yeah, and if if consent was given, was it what we'd call these days informed consent? Uh, probably not. Um, I, don't, I haven't ever read of any <laughs> attempt to gain consent by Cook. No, I've never heard of that he, before. There were attempts in Victoria in the 1830s. Uh, John Batman, known as the founder of Melbourne, did kind of try to at least appear to have been gaining consent, consent uh, but I don't think Cook is in that category. Uh, and that, that question of who owns the land and whose possession is it is still very live as far as I can see. Well, of course, uh, and, and quite different from the way it was handled in the Treaty of Waitangi uh, in New Zealand. So therein lies some of the differences between our two countries, some of the many differences uh, in that respect between Europeans and non-Europeans. So... Was Cook's expedition then part of the same movement that led to the evangelicals being responsible for the first fleet that arrived, uh, what, just under 20 years later? I think it's actually almost the other way around. When Cook got back from that first Endeavour journey, uh, his journals got published and they were a bestseller. Everybody wanted to read his account of this amazing new part of the world that Europeans didn't really have a grasp of yet, mm. uh, the South Pacific. And some people, like John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, the famous uh, pastor, the former slave trader, he read Cook's journals and was really overwhelmed with its account of all the kind of peoples and cultures and places who hadn't heard yet of 
uh, the good news of Jesus. And he, he talks in his own journal about being moved to pray that, that, that somehow the news of Jesus would spread even to, to these new these places. Wow. Other people, however, read Cook's journal and thought, well, there's all these people that uh, we didn't know about that aren't mentioned in the Bible. Maybe the Bible's not a universal word that encompasses all of humanity. Maybe it's actually just, you know, it's, it's, it's a limited revelation that's just for one, one place or time. Uh-huh. And it kind of played into the skepticism of that kind of enlightenment period as well. Right. So people kind of interpreted Cook and what he had um, disclosed to his readers in quite different ways. But certainly, um, John Newton, uh, having read that in Cook, became a mentor to Richard Johnson, the first chaplain to Australia. Uh, and so there's, there is kind of a clear line between reading Cook, thinking about the South Pacific, and then seeking to carry uh, the good news of Jesus to that part of the world. And if necessary, kind of hitching a ride with um, the, the first fleet. Yes, so then we know from other interviews that you and I have done, and also with Stuart Piggin and others, um, that by the time the First Fleet arrives, it does have this idea of redemption for the prisoners that come on the boats, but it also it brings the Bible and that culture to a new peoples with instructions to to see that word, the word of God, as revealed in the Bible, spread throughout this region, starting here and moving out throughout the South Pacific. In which case, you've got to say, willingly or uh, sorry, wittingly or, or not, Captain Cook opened up a massive region of the world to the Christian gospel. Well, here's that, uh, to, to more than that, in a way, like for European trade, European military, strategic kind of uh, bases, to settler colonies, to the spread of. Um, I mean, Europe at this time is the only part of the world where Christianity is the main religion. Uh, it, it's- Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.